With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. It's your club and this is your show. No such thing as a quiet week for Manchester City anymore, is there? Top of the table after an impressive showing at Watford. There should have been absolutely no problems with a dead rubber in the final Champions League group game in midweek. But just when we were worried there'd be no headlines to talk about on today's Blue Moon podcast, we get a key player suspended for the knockout tie after a tetchy end to the game. A possible injury to another key player and a lineup that gave little to no experience to any of the academy players that travelled. We'll assess how that match at Leipzig went on today's show, but don't worry, it's not all bad news. We've put Bernardo Silver in the spotlight after his sumptuous form and we'll be reflecting on the display that sent City back to the top of the Premier League this weekend too. We've got games against Wolves and Leeds to preview as well so let's get cracking. I'm David Mooney and with me on this week's show I've got two City fans Rachel Hudson. Hi David. And Bob Tool. Yeah, hi Mooney, how are you doing? Not too bad thanks Bob, not too fat, not too bad. Uh, Rachel are you well? <laughs> We've just had this conversation. Oh, yeah, I felt better. I've been <laughs> but I'm doing my civil duty. There we go. There's some um, seeking solace in that. Excellent, Bob. Are you feeling all right? You've been. You've had. You've had that horrid cold going around as well, haven't you? So are you feeling better? Uh, no, not really. To be honest, uh, I feel like I've been ill for about a month. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I'll, I'll, I'll struggle through. Um, excellent, yeah. excellent. None of us feeling in tip-top form. That's what I like to hear right at the start of the show. <laughs> um, let's start with. I'm, I'm going to work backwards for this week's show. Uh, so let's start with uh, the absolute nonsense that uh, that went down in Leipzig, Rachel. Um, Let's start with first things first. Let's start with the selection. Um, did Guardiola get it wrong? Was it too strong with not enough young players in there? You know, it, it's damned if he does, he's damned if he doesn't. Uh, I, I've just given up trying to even sort of second guess what he's going to do now and have put my faith in him. You know, in Pep, we trust and all that. I, I would have personally liked to have seen more youngsters given the run out and given a chance. Um, you know, when I saw a little bit of United last night and, you know, saw they, they um, took the opportunity to give a couple of younger lads a run out. And, you know, I was a little bit envious of that. If I'm perfectly honest, I thought we had a perfect opportunity to do that against Leipzig because it was effectively a dead rubber. But at the same time, there's some players who are still trying to get their fitness back. You know, De Bruyne, for example, I know obviously this season hasn't really been at his, um, you know, his his absolute best and I think a lot of that is down to fitness so maybe it was a good game to to, to put him in um, but yeah I was surprised by the, the the strength of the team that said there's still a lot of players that we left out you know we're saying did he go too strong there was still a lot of what I would consider first team players not even um, not even playing so he's damned if he does then he's damned if he doesn't yeah, I think I guess Bob, uh, we wouldn't be sat here talking about this if you know we, if there wasn't a potential injury to Foden and and if Walker now wasn't suspended for the knockout phase. That like it, it, it's it's simply because there's been consequences, isn't it? Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's typical Pep in a way to sort of make a talking point out of a dead rubber game, and I kind of thought afterwards. Well, one thing that should never happen in this kind of game is that you have serious consequences. Um, and an injury, I mean, that could happen any time. So with the Foden thing, it's like, well, I, you know, like 
don't know what Rachel was saying, like some players needed uh, minutes and Foden was one of them. So it's, that's just going to happen. You can't just wrap him up in cotton wool and not play him because um, he's so valuable to us when he's at um, top form. But yeah, like things like the Walker red card, I mean, Pep can't take the blame for that. I mean, that's just uh, just ridiculous from Walker, really. I mean, I don't know what he was thinking. It wasn't like it wasn't like it was a situation that arose from a sort of a tactical setup, which you could then draw back, draw it back to Pep. It was just lashing out. And he was frustrated. <laughs> he's just like, booted, well, yeah, he just booted somebody across the ankle. So it's like, yeah. I mean, it was just it's the kind of thing you see on like a. A, a school uh, football match, isn't it? Really, like just a sort of a fourteen-year-old just kicking somebody because they're just a bit cheesed off or whatever. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, that I mean, it, and like yeah, to be banned, is it both legs in the in the, in the next round? Well, um, I, yeah, this is this is it. I'm not sure right now um, because I, I I'm assuming he's been sent off for violent conduct, which would be uh, a, a three-game ban, which would mean at least the first two legs of the knockout phase. If they get through that, the first leg of the of the next round. Um, but it might only, I, I, I can't, if, if UEFA decide it's not violent conduct, then it might only be two games or one game. So it's like, it's really, I'm not, I, I'm genuinely not sure at the moment how, how long he'll be, uh, he'll be suspended for. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's ultimately, it's, it was a very avoidable red card, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, totally. I mean, and he's so important to us. Um, and the knock on effects of him being absent uh, for however long it will be, well, I guess we'll see. But um, taking Cancelo off the left, uh, sort of fullback role to move to the right. Presumably, that's what will happen. That's that's going to hamper us because Cancelo obviously has just been so effective this season down the left, um, and Walker's just yeah an immense right back. So yeah, it's, it's going to have um, a huge effect, and we could get a really hard team like could get Atletico, which um, you know it's, it's not ideal at all to be missing one of your best players. Yeah, the, the, I think the concern as well, uh, Rachel, is is kind of how he got suckered into it. Because I mean, l- let's be honest, you know, hands in the air here. City City had a, had a reason to feel aggrieved in that game. I didn't think the refereeing was particularly good. I can understand why it got you know pretty tetchy towards the end of the game. But ultimately, you've still got to look at the bigger picture, haven't you? And, and you've got to go, okay, it's one game. It doesn't matter to us. Let's just let's just move on from it. Exactly that. And I, th- I think you've been very kind there because the standard of refereeing was absolutely awful. But like you said, it didn't matter because the result didn't really matter. It had no bearing whatsoever on where we were going to finish in the group. So, yeah, Walker should have maintained his professionalism. And just to rush of blood to the head, things things happen. You know, I suppose it, it, it it's not a bad thing that we've got a winning mentality, regardless of whether something's a, you know, a dead rubber or not. So, I'm not going to, you know, uh, given Walker's form of late, he's been absolutely fantastic this season. I'll just say arguably the form, the best form he's ever been in since he came to City. So, uh, you know, he's allowed to have that one moment of madness this season for me. Just hope it doesn't prove too costly. Yeah, of course. Uh, just on the uh, on the team selection as well, Rachel. Just going back to the the idea of having a few more youngsters in there. One one thing I'm I, I'm a little um, I fully accept that that you know players like Gundogan, Walker, Stones, they missed Villa and Fernandinho, Stones, Zinchenko missed Watford, so that they're players that need to get you know some fitness in the legs. I accept that, um, but I'm just wondering because it was a dead rubber. There's there's the argument that those players go onto the pitch going well you know I'm I'm don't get injured don't get you know don't ha- don't cause yourself any problems for future games so they already play at about eighty percent 
But if you chuck in a couple of youngsters into that game, you chuck in Cole Palmer, for instance, and 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 give him an opportunity to start. Um, the other the other option was CJ Egan Riley, who's been you know a, 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 who's played against Watford, for instance. You, you chuck players like that into the setup, and suddenly the the eighty percent becomes a hundred percent because they've got something to to play for. They've got something to prove. And I just wonder if City give Leipzig a better game in that sense, Rachel. Possibly, you know. Again, it's the coulda, woulda, shoulda, isn't it? I suppose in that, you know, what if if he played them and Leipzig could still beat us, then Pep would we all be slating Pep for throwing inexperienced lads in who didn't have experience with the Champions League? So again, go back to damned if you do and damned if you don't. Um, I think ultimately these young pros will, if they're good enough, they'll all get the chance and the opportunity at some point. There's lots and lots of examples of that. Um, you only have to look at how. Foden was managed by um, by Guardiola and you know think it wasn't that long ago that he was being criticised for not playing Foden and giving Foden enough game time and look at him now you know one of the best English prospects well global prospects never mind English prospects in the game so I have every faith that, that Pep will, will manage it correctly I can see your point in that yeah maybe we missed an opportunity there but at the end of the day it was a game that didn't matter anyway yeah, um, one other name to chuck in, Bob, is uh, is James McAtee because obviously he's um, he he's ongoingly negotiating his contract right now with uh, with, with City. It could have been an opportunity to to prove to him, hey, your future is actually here. Well, absolutely. I mean, I, I did think before um, the lineup came out that well, he's, he's surely going to play some youngsters. But then when I saw the lineup, I kind of I kind of thought, well, you know, it's fair enough. I understand Pep wanting to give more senior players' minutes. But what would have uh, been really nice is when we were losing the game at half-time, just to think, well, you know, now I'll introduce some young players um, to get them going. Um, because, like we've said, um, it's, it was a dead rubber, so why not? Um, and Leipzig, they had something to play for as well. They were going for third place in the group. Um, and, yeah, the young players presume they've got a lot more to play for to, to prove something to... Uh, to themselves, but also to the club as well. So, yeah, I mean, it would have been great to see him and a few others. Um, and you mentioned Cole Palmer before. I mean, the fact that he started against Everton a few weeks ago, you thought, well, surely he should have started. Um, if he's got the trust to play in a Premier League game, why, why not a, a dead rubber Champions League match? Um, so, yeah, it was, it was a bit odd, really. Yeah. Maybe it does all come down to, uh, like we like uh, Rachel say, minutes in the legs and and, and getting some first teamers some uh, some fitness. Let's focus on uh, the positive for this week, though, because um, obviously City went back to the top of the Premier League with uh, a, a brilliant win at uh, at Watford. Um, it, it, it's it's kind of important, I guess, at this stage, Rachel, to get to the top. Even a, like a even a psychological boost of going. Actually, you know, Chelsea have been great, Liverpool have been great this season, but we've been better. And not only that, the, the biggest thing for me, the biggest advantage that we've got on, say, last season, for example, is the fact that we've got most of our horrible away games out of the way already. So we've been to Chelsea, we've been to Anfield, we've been to Old Trafford, we've been to Leicester, Spurs. You know, I don't even think, I think I know we've got Arsenal left. Is there anybody else left to, to go and play away where we're going to have? I don't, I don't think there is. So we've got a lot of horrible away fixtures done and dusted. So... Always good for it to be in our hands and, 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 and see us at the top. But yeah, we've just got to build the momentum now and go on from it. Lots of games over Christmas, really busy period. It could look different again. I suppose the big thing is for me, I'm talking about all those away games and obviously how we've, we've played dead well against um, those teams. But that ain't great if you then go and drop points at home to the likes of Palace and Southampton. <laughs> so 
So as much as it, on paper we're in a good position, we've just got to make sure that we don't slip up against the you know mid-table teams and the, the relegation fodder. Yeah, Bob. The uh, the game at Watford was uh, fantastic for for several reasons. The first one I want to I, I want to talk about is Raheem Sterling. Um, on last week's show, we were tentatively asking if he was back to his best. Um, where are you at with him right now? Because Watford Watford was another good show from him, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, it was. I mean, he's he's definitely improved, um, hasn't he? I mean, he started scoring again, which is going to obviously boost his confidence being a forward. Um, yeah, I mean, he's, he's not back to the peak of his powers, but he certainly reminded me of how dangerous he can be in our team. Um, and uh, it reminded me a bit of the Euros as well, when he was obviously exceptional for England. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's so valuable to the team uh, when he's on form. And I was worrying at the beginning of the season. Uh, I, I know I wasn't alone in this, in thinking that, is he ever going to recapture his best form for us? And I, I did think it was maybe not going to happen um but yeah certainly it's uh, encouraging and he just looks so much more confident and as soon as he receives the ball in a wide area or whatever he's, he's immediately sort of pushing forward with it he's not hesitating on what to do and he's just yeah just doing what he does best and just making a nuisance of himself and um and his positional sense to get on the end of things is uh, is great so yeah it's really encouraging uh, and long may it continue yeah, when he's scoring headers, Rachel, that's that's when you know the form's coming back, isn't it? Yeah, exactly that. I think he probably faded a little bit second half, if I was being really hypercritical. But no, it's good good to see. You know, he's been given a chance. He's got to keep the faith. You know, as they say, form is temporary, class is permanent. So let, let's see what he does for the rest of the season. I, I'm still in the... If I'm totally honest... If if I know there's lots of rumours linking him to you know a move away from the club, if he was to go, would I lose any sleep over it? Probably not. Is that is that being really harsh? I don't I don't know. Um, you know, obviously he's a city player, and I want to see him do well, and I want to see him come good. But at the same time, I think we we, we often look a lot better without him in the side. Yeah, it has been certainly recently. It has been that, but I'm I'm very much in the camp of I want to find him. I want to, I want him back to his best at City because those, especially the the, the two title winning seasons under Guardiola in uh, 2018 and 2019, he was he was incredible. Um, and I just I well, want to see well, it again. He was, he was. But do you not think a lot of that was down to the fact that players around him made him look incredible? And I'm talking mainly about David Silva there as well. I think a lot, a lot of Sterling's form, and and is it, I think a lot of his goals was down to the fact they were put on a plate for him almost certainly um, for, from David Silva. Don't get me wrong, he still had to get himself in the right place to put them away, and there were some great goals like you know the late late, late winner against Southampton always stands out in my mind as well. You know that was nothing to do with any other player. That was all about Sterling, but for me. His, la- his loss of form has coincided with, Stur- with with Silver moving away. Might just be a coincidence, but I think there's something in that. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I I don't know about you, Bob. Um, I when I when I look at uh, at Raheem Sterling of that time, though, I still think of. I think it's the movement, Rachel. The, the movement he was offering up front as well, just just to the, the awareness to move players out of position to create gaps for players like David Silva and Aguero and, and De Bruyne. Um, I, I think I think there's a lot more to it than than just than just you know David Silva not being there anymore. I think it, it could it could even be like a change of system that's not helped him in the last last kind of eighteen months, two years or so, Bob. What do you reckon? Uh, yeah, perhaps. I mean the. The way City play now is is very different to seventeen eighteen, and um, there was, 
I don't know whether I'm misremembering, but obviously in 1718, it was mainly Sané, Aguero and Sterling, the front three, but it's just, um, and Sterling was on the right then and predominantly That's on the That's the other big difference, isn't it, Bob? I think since Mares has come in and, you know, Mares probably starts on the right, which has forced Sterling onto the left, then now obviously we've got Foden and Grealish there. So how, how and where do you fit Sterling in? Well, yeah, this is it. I mean, he's 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 been lively on the on the right at times recently, hasn't he? So, um, yeah, it's weird. It's weird though as well because I think he has got really good positional sense to get on the end of things from from any player that's got a good delivery. Um, but it's weird though when you when he plays as a false nine or as a sort of traditional nine, I, I don't rate him. But then when he plays in wide positions, he's great at arriving in central areas. So it's a bit of a weird sort of paradox, I think, with him. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, let's let's move a lot further back because uh, one of the players that uh, I want to talk about this week after the Leipzig game as well is Zach Steffen. Um, because while City weren't great in Leipzig, uh, Rachel Steffen was probably unlucky to lose that game given how well he played. Fantastic, he was brilliant. He was a proper shot stopper, wasn't he? You know, he, he kept the, the scoreline respectable. To be perfectly frank. Um, yeah, I've got every confidence in him, and it, and it's you know it's not very often that we have two great keepers at the club, um, but I think it you know Edison's going to be number one choice. There's no you know any kind of performance that um, that Stefan put in, he isn't then going to be all you know be be challenging Edison. Edison is absolutely our number one, but it's great that in the event Edison is injured, we've got that you know decent backup, which we maybe haven't had in the past. Yeah, it's in a weird way, Bob. It kind of makes me think of Emmy Martinez at uh, Aston Villa, given that he was he was back up at Arsenal for so long, and then you know goes away to Villa, and, and everyone goes, "God, he can play." And he kind of like wonder why, like why why is Stefan staying at City when he could he could be a number one somewhere, couldn't he? He could easily, yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess he needs to, uh, Pep needs to manage him carefully in that sense because it's so nice to to have him around because. Um, when 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 the it was the community shield against Leicester, I know we lost that game obviously in the last minute, but the amount of saves he pulled out um in that match to keep it at nil nil for as long as he did was amazing. And ever since then I've been a, a big fan of his. So um so yeah, it would be a shame if he went because um obviously in recent years with like Bravo and Caballero, people like that, is the backup keepers just they just don't cut the mustard really. So um <laughs> it's just nice to not sort of have uh sort of a nervous breakdown when you see uh, the, the, the second choice keeper starting. Yeah, that, w- that was the key for me, Rachel. When I think, I can't remember what the Premier League game was. It was earlier in the season. It might have been Burnley at home when uh, Edison couldn't play because of uh, COVID restrictions and, uh, and and coming back from Brazil. Um, and it, it struck me at that point, I, I don't have any concerns when Guardiola names the second goalkeeper. In the, in, you know, in years gone by, you go, oh God, it's Bravo going to be playing this weekend. What are we going to get out of him? And the, and you you think this week? Oh, it's Stefan, but you know he's he's fine. He'll 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 cope with anything that's thrown at him. Yeah, and and with respect to Burnley, I suppose given we we wouldn't have expected the goal to be peppered either in that in in those circumstances either. So yeah, a lot probably depends on the 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 opposition who we're playing as well. I suppose there's maybe an element of that that comes into it, but. You know, I don't think he's done a lot wrong for City so far. I can't think of anything that sticks out in my mind, whereas I can remember Bravo messing up on <laughs> a number of occasions. So. Today, there are lots of small business owners who are busier than ever. Time spent searching for and interviewing candidates can take time away from managing and growing a business. 
That's why LinkedIn Jobs has made it easier to get to the candidates worth interviewing faster, and it's free as well. You can create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs and reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network with over 30 million people in the UK. You can focus on the skills and experience that you need in candidates, and you can use screening questions to make sure your role is seen by the people most qualified for it. And the simple tools on LinkedIn Jobs can quickly filter and prioritise who you'd like to interview and hire. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates worth interviewing faster, and you can post a job for free. Just visit linkedin.com slash blue. Again, that's linkedin.com slash blue, B-L-U-E, to post a job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Bob, let's let's talk about Rodri as well, um, because he's, he's somebody who, um, I guess if Bernardo Silva wasn't playing as well as he was, we'd all be raving about Rodri right now, wouldn't we? Yeah, I mean, I think some people are, though, aren't they? Um, I mean, he's been excellent, hasn't he? He's really found his feet. And, um, well, I know you've um, sort of referred to yourself saying it uh, um, at some point. I think, was it last season you said it uh, that you'd be quite happy if uh, you never put a City shirt on again or something? Yeah, like yeah. It was. Thanks for that. It was uh, Leeds away last year. Um, I thought, I don't see it, never going to see it. And then, you know, he's been doing this. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, uh, yeah, you weren't alone, were you? Let's be honest. Um, so it's not exactly like uh, you were um, out on your own on that one. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's he is the he's arguably one of the first names on the team sheet. Really, I mean, you look at the spine of the team. You've got Edison, uh, Diaz, and then in midfield you've got Rodri, and then Bernardo. But ev- everyone else is kind of it's interchangeable to a certain extent. Maybe Cancelo is an exception to that. But all the forward players, there's so many options. But Rodri, there's no one else in the team that does what he does. Like Fernandinho is a completely different type of player. Um, so I'm not, I'm not sort of clever enough about the tactical stuff to really know why he's really managed to step up. But whatever Pep's doing with the system, it's really bringing out the best of him in terms of his passing ability because he's so good at that and. Um, and obviously, a couple of weeks ago, he scored the absolute screamer, which he does have in him. He's done it a couple of times, hasn't he? So, yeah, it's really nice to see because, um, yeah, he certainly had his doubters, uh, you and me included. So, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Rachel, the thing is with him, I, I guess I wonder if Leipzig shows what City miss when when Rodri isn't there. Um, because the one thing he does do really well, when you when you, when you you sit back and, and, and kind of look at how City get attacks started, Rodri moves the ball forward really quickly and really well. He is, yeah. I mean, you know, it's like you've already alluded to. He's definitely our most improved player this season. I think Bernardo's um, form has probably not surprised anybody really, but there are a lot of people, you and I included, who had our doubts about would Rodri be the person to long-term replace Fernandinho. And to be fair, this season, he's done everything that's been asked of him. I know that um, I, I absolutely have my doubts. I think probably Bernardo's form and Bernardo's running has maybe helped um, Rodri's game as well because it, it, it feels like he doesn't have to necessarily do quite as much running and he can concentrate on ba- breaking up the play and, 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 like you say, starting the ball, moving, shifting the ball forward um, into attack, whereas previously I think he maybe had a little bit more running to do. And, and let's be, be fair, um, the one thing that is lacking in his game is, is, is speed. He's not the fastest player on the on the pitch, is he? So, um, but he's yeah, he's he's come good, and I'm pleased for the lad because it seems like he's got his head screwed on off the pitch as well. So, you know, long may it continue. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, we said on last week's show that uh, it was difficult to keep finding the right words to describe how good Bernardo Silva has been this season. And a week on, it's even more difficult now. You might have noticed that he's been conspicuous by his absence on the show so far. There is a reason, and it's because I've been taking a look at how he's become a pivotal part of this City team. <laughs> The first time most City fans will have become aware of Bernardo Silva was when he played against the club for Monaco. After the first game, uh, I was doing some interviews and, and, and I saw Pep and he, he came to speak to me uh, and he congratulated me on the win. On the win, no, on the game, because we lost that game. Uh, away first, then we beat them. Uh, but yeah, maybe it was maybe it was that day that that changed a bit my my career and my life. That's Bernardo speaking to Football Daily earlier this year about that match in 2017. Three months later, he'd swapped Monaco for Manchester, and when he arrived, he spoke to City TV. When you have the opportunity of being trained by by Guardiola, you you don't you don't say no. Uh, as we as we all know, what he did in in Barcelona and, and Bayern Munich was amazing and we all expect also here uh, to some, that, that he wins titles and it's great to, 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 be, to be working with him and to be able to have this opportunity as I said. Guardiola did as Bernardo expected in that 2017-18 season, ripping up the record books to win the title with an unprecedented 100 points. Bernardo though was only a low-key player in that side, often used from the bench late in games. I've said it many times, it's always difficult to change because you have to adapt to, to the way your new team plays, to, to the league uh, and to everything, new country, so it's normal uh, and I'm feeling much, much better. I feel like, like I'm helping the team and I want to keep improving and improving and next season I hope that I can be much, much better than this season. At the end of his second season at City, Bernardo won the club's Player of the Year award after being one of the most impressive performers in the first team to successfully defend the title in a decade. There was one game that summed his season up, a 2-1 win against Liverpool at the Etihad in January. Guardiola spoke about him afterwards. He did everything, we had a problem to build up, he came to help us, he win all the duels. Today was long time ago I didn't see him in a performance like he did in, in all terms, not just with the ball because he's precise, he's clean, he's clever. <laughs> he fought with, with Van Dijk and, and making him comfortable his duel. So, Big compliment. Bernardo was incredible too. But from those highs, Bernardo struggled in his third season. The entire team didn't look right, and it finished with City well behind new champions Liverpool. It was also a tough period off the pitch for the midfielder. In September 2019, he was investigated after making an alleged racist post on Twitter. Bernardo is the most lovely person, one of the most lovely person I've ever met in my life. Uh, he speaks uh, four or five languages. That is the best way to understand how open-minded is it. And one of the best friends is Mendy, but it's, it's like a brother for him. So the, the image for the tweet is not about the color of the skin. And that, I think the response from, from Mendy was clear after that. It was a joking all the time. Then later in the season, football was halted and the UK was put into lockdown to curb the spread of COVID-19. With football suspended, he spoke to Bleacher Report. I came back to, to Portugal. Uh, to be close to my family and friends and now I've just been spending some time with them in isolation it's been over a month and yeah that's it waiting for for this to to end and to go back to normal life I'm in Lisbon 
but I'm more in like in the countryside, so uh, one hour ago, one hour away from 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 where I'm from. As football got going again, City won the title back from Liverpool, though Bernardo couldn't quite recapture his previous form. Then ahead of this season, Guardiola confirmed reports that the midfielder wanted to leave. Not just Bernardo, there are uh, two or three for players that they wanna they wanna leave. They are players under contract and when they bring some offer or someone they want to leave and his agents come here, we are open of course to discuss absolutely everything with all the players for the squad, but it depends on them. They know the door is open because we don't want anyone here unsatisfied, but they have to bring someone, otherwise they will stay here. No offers came in for Bernardo, so despite wanting a change of scenery, he put that to the back of his mind and he got on with the job on the pitch. Here's how the MEN Simon Bakovsky assessed the situation in October. He was outstanding in 18-19 and then hasn't been for the last two years. So if he wanted to go, you can see why City were, were happy to sort of agree to his wishes as long as a, a bid came in. But now, while they will still sort of reluctantly accept if he wants to leave, it'll he's probably added... 30, 40 million to his price tag. Speaking on the same episode of the Blue Moon podcast, City fan Dan Burke agreed. I think he's playing possibly the best football of his City career at the moment, Bernardo, and, and arguably the most informed midfielder at the world at the moment. I think he, his attitude's always been great, but the way he's kind of knuckled down after not getting the move away has been really impressive. And I hope he stays forever now. And, and in a post-COVID world, maybe his personal life gets a bit easier. Um, but, you know, the Manchester weather isn't improving anytime soon, is it? So that's always going to be a bit of bit, a a problem for him. However, a month later and ahead of City's 3-0 win over Everton, Guardiola suggested Bernardo's off-the-pitch situation had improved. He's a lovely, lovely guy. He's a guy who can talk whatever, he's a funny person, he's been loved there and I had the feeling now he's happy here, you know, with uh, his personal life, with uh, doing there and hopefully he can do an exceptional season uh, with us again. That will be music to the ears of City supporters. Now in his fifth season here, Bernardo has become a firm fan's favourite. He's an integral part of the team and leads the club's Premier League scoring chart so far this term too, with five goals in his last five top-flight games. As we've said on recent podcasts, we're running out of ways to explain how good he's been, but I guess that's a good problem to have. If he can keep up this run of form, then City will have an excellent chance at retaining the title in what will undoubtedly be a very competitive Premier League season. Hi, this is Andy Morrison and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. Please support the show by becoming a backer. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. That was a look at Bernardo Silva and uh, his role in this city side. Um, Rachel, what what more can we say about Bernardo now? Because like we were running out of words last week. So like, how on earth do we carry it on? Because he's just getting better still somehow. It is brilliant. And, and you know, fair play to him because obviously, you know, it's been well documented that he, he was looking for a move away in the summer and you know, how the truth was in that, I don't know. But... Ultimately, he's ignored the speculation. He's got his head down, and he's shown shown exactly what he can do. And I'm hearing pundits now talking, likening him to um, you know Salah in terms of the best player in the Premier League. And on, on current form, he probably is. He's just absolutely phenomenal. He never, he, he just the the amount of work that he does for the team, the graft, the heat map at the end of every single game is just phenomenal. And then when he's adding those kinds of goals as well. It's just in, it's just incredible. It's so good to see. I know what what I really love this season 
is I've got friends who are United fans and, and they're watching City games, obviously, and they are so envious. They absolutely love him. They all just think, you know, when they think of, of, of who they've got in, in midfield and we like look at the likes of Bernardo, it's that when, that's when they really realise the, the golfing class that they've got between the two teams at the minute. But no, he's, he's, he's absolutely phenomenal. The, the one thing that did make me laugh on Saturday was I think Alan Smith on Sky gave Sterling the man of the match. And don't get me wrong, you know, we've just alluded to the fact that Sterling had, has had a better game and played played um, slightly better recently. But he, there's no way it wasn't Bernardo. It was just ridiculous. It's almost like, you know, when you... You run an under under eight team, and you've got one kid who stand out, and you have to give him man of the match every week, and then it's becoming unfair. That's what it <laughs> almost feels like with Bernardo. That it's because it's him every week. It was almost like Alan Smith didn't want to give it him again because it's getting boring. But no, he's been absolutely phenomenal, um, and it's been great to see because again, you know, he, he works so hard, so tirelessly, both on and off the ball, and you know, full credit to him. Yeah, I never got man of the match when I was uh, when I was playing under eights, under nines, under tens football that often. So uh, you know, it was ne- definitely never shared around in my day. Let's put it that way. Um, Bob, the I guess listening to that feature there as well, the the encouraging sign is when Guardiola talks about that he gets the impression that Bernardo's happier now as well in his personal life because that suggests long term the reasons for him wanting to look for a move away are maybe not as not, not impacting him as much as as they were over the summer and the summer before, and so basically it looks good for City if he if he's if he's likely to be staying around then you know nobody's complaining are they? No, absolutely not. I mean. I think a lot of people, uh, people I know that are City fans in the summer, uh, when when it looked like he, he may go, they were kind of of the opinion, well, you know, he's, he's had a few good seasons for us, but he's had a few not so good ones. So if he goes, so be it. He's been a good servant to the club, but you're not going to lose too much sleep over it. But now it's kind of the, the form he's in. It's, it's sort of unthinkable for him not to be in the team. It reminds me a little bit of... Uh, when Yaya was at the peak of his powers, I couldn't imagine the City team without Yaya in it. And I kind of feel a little bit like that about Bernardo now. Um, so, yeah, if he is more settled now, that's only going to be a good thing. Um, and there's this video on the City website, um, an interview uh, with him and his, uh, I think it's his girlfriend. I don't know whether it's his wife. I'm, I'm not too sure. Or I don't really care either um, about um, an interview with, with his dog, and he's talking about how he likes um, going out for brunch in all the restaurants and stuff in the city. So whether that's a bit of PR on City's side to prove that he is actually happy, or I don't, or whether it's a genuine thing, I'm not too sure. But you know, take it at face value, he is, um, and that's only going to help like anyone else in any job if they're settled and happy, they're going to perform better, and that's no different with footballers, I don't think. So, um, so yeah, I mean. Um, it's a, a good sign and whenever he does move on we just need to make sure we have um, a, a small uh, left-footed Iberian silver <laughs> to replace him so to continue the line after uh, Dave and, and Bernardo yeah that's the uh, that, that's the thing I, I, I can't even um, uh, begin to think how City replace him at the moment I just wonder Rachel has he has he been helped this season by uh, as we're talking about and, and you know earlier in the season an out form Raheem Sterling David Silver's moved on you know Kevin De Bruyne has had his injury problems and he's and, and he's had Covid recently and it's kind of been like Bernardo's gone right it's down to me to take on the creativity burden and he's just kind of dug in and done it well, yeah, and there was an argument to say that last year as well. You know, when we hit our best form, I think, again, it was when De Bruyne was out and Gundogan sort of stepped up, didn't he, to the plate, and he was the main man for a couple of months. And it feels like in 
De Bruyne's absence. It's now Bernardo who's who's you know who's taken up that mantle. So yeah, it's a really really strange one about De Bruyne because obviously he's absolutely sensational and we know he is world class. There's no two ways about that. However, there, there are some players who look better when De Bruyne isn't necessarily playing, and I would argue that Bernardo is maybe one of them. Um, and it might again just be pure coincidence. It might be the system. I'd, I I don't know what it is. I'd have to probably, you know, take a a, a, a much deeper, harder look. But it, it, is it a coincidence that Bernardo's playing absolutely out of his skin while De Bruyne isn't there? I don't know. But then that said, I suppose when he was Player of the Year in the um, in the treble winning season, I think De Bruyne was 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 De Bruyne out a lot of that season as well. I can't oh, that's a question. Which, I think that was the yeah. season De Bruyne was injured a lot, you know. Yeah, exactly. And Bernardo got played with the season that year as well. So, don't know. Might just be a pure coincidence, but there may be something in it. Time now to look ahead uh, to City's coming games with Wolves and Leeds. Let's start with Wolves and we'll bring in Dave as a party from Talking Wolves. Hi, Dave. Um, nice to have you back. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me on once again. Uh, where are Wolves at at the moment? Um, because speaking to a mate of mine who's a Wolves fan, it, it felt like a very, very difficult start to the season for you. But then I'll be honest with you, I was listening to Wolves last weekend play against Liverpool. And when you conceded in the last minute, everybody in Molyneux will have been absolutely fuming with it. But I, I was cleaning the shower at the time and I kicked a bucket <laughs> of water over the bathroom. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I wish I could give you sort of a definitive answer on exactly where we are or where we're hoping to go this season. Um, this season, the recruitment's been a little bit strange in the summer. Um, the squad is still paper thin at the moment and obviously adding injuries to it and, and suspensions, it's made it difficult. And I'm dreading really the, the, the rest of this month. Um, we saw ourselves in sixth place up, uh, up until a few weeks ago. Um, but on paper, the fixtures that we had were winnable and we should have been winning them anyway. But then we've drawn nil-nil against Norwich, nil-nil against Burnley, and then obviously just lost out to, to Liverpool as well. Where You're right, you know, we held them for 90-plus for minutes and then in the end, one of the last kicks of the game they scored. So it was really frustrating um, because I felt we did create one or two decent counter-attacks but then you look at the actual stats after the game and we only had three shots against them all game. So did we do enough to win the game? No. Uh, but I still think our defending uh, warranted a, a positive result. You know, we kept Salah and Mane very, very quiet throughout. Um, so, yeah, I think it, between now and Christmas, you know, we've got you guys, we've got Chelsea next weekend. We've got Arsenal just after Christmas. We've got United as our first game in 2022. I think it's just about trying to pick out one or two positive results out of there being as high as we can in the table, just so we can start attracting some uh, better players in January. Yeah, I think uh, I think my bathroom floor wishes you'd kept a clean sheet against uh, Liverpool <laughs> as well, because given the the amount of uh, dirty water that I booted across it. But there we go. Um, uh, I was under the impression though that you'd started badly, and then you look at the table, and like you are three points off the top six, so you must be doing something right this season. Yeah, I mean, to be fair though. The first three games of the season were tough games anyway, and that they're arguably three of our best performances. We played Leicester, um, who, you know, at the time, you know, everyone was, you know, pushing to possibly break into the top four again, and then Spurs and Manchester United. So it was three, they weren't easy games. And we, I, I, you could argue, you know, Wolves were the better team in all three of those. Then after that, we have had a run of games against teams you would expect us to beat. 
We've played the, the likes of Watford, Brentford, um, Norwich, Southampton, you know, the teams that I would expect to all finish below us in the table. The only tough one I would say that we've had um, is the game against West Ham. And we, and we played really, really well against them and beat them as well. So, yeah, the table is looking good. But then you look at our goals scored and our goals conceded. We're defending fantastically well. You know, we're, we're up with the big boys in terms of goals conceded. But our goals scored, I think we're one of the lowest scorers in the league at the moment. Yeah, Rachel, when you look at uh, at City in these sorts of games as well, I mean, you, you mentioned earlier in the show about struggling to, you know, to break down Crystal Palace, struggling to break down Southampton. You know, Wolves with a good defence, it's not going to be an easy game for them to get through, is it? No, it's not. And I think only cast my mind back to, I think it was the season before last when um, Triori scored twice, didn't he, I think. We, we, we yeah. lost at home, you beat us 2-0. And that, to me, was the blueprint of how to beat City. Just defend within an inch of your lives, you know, 10 men behind the ball, and then on the counter-attack, do us, get us. And and, and that, to me, was... I, I couldn't really understand why more teams didn't set up like that, to be honest. I know it's a little bit anti-football, but ultimately, for teams like Wolves, it's about points, isn't it? It's not necessarily about trying to, you know... Try to be, oh well, they tried tried to play football, but they lost five nil. That's no help whatsoever to 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 um, a number of teams. So, so yeah, they always give us a tough game. And um, I, I went to the last away game as well. When I think again, I seem to remember Mendy messing up in the yeah, um, yeah and we lost three two. But then last season, I think it was our first game of the season, and in the first half we were absolutely spectacular, just dominated it from start to finish. But the second half came back. But yeah, you always you always give us a good game. A bit of a a bogey side in that respect, I think. Yeah, I was going to say, Dave. It always it always seems like uh, certainly since your return to the Premier League, uh, and I had a look at the record. Uh, City have won three, lost two of the six since uh, since the return. Um, that I mean, do you feel confident coming to the Etihad with with that sort of performance? Because like like you say, you you haven't conceded many goals this season. Yeah, I wouldn't say confident, but looking at those results and like you've just mentioned I possibly should should be or part of me should feel like we could get something out of the game but I think every game you just don't know at the moment this season we don't know what Wolves team are going to turn up and then at the same time you don't know how ruthless and clinical City are going to be either I think that game we that you mentioned just where we beat you 2-0 we defended well but you guys had a couple of good chances as well and I think we were quite fortunate to catch you you know, I've just looked at your back four. You had Otamendi and Fernandinho as the two centre-halves. We were <laughs> quite lucky in that respect. And I do remember towards the end of the game, I think Adama played right wing back most of that game, kept Sterling quiet and then went up front. And as you were pushing and coming higher higher up to get the winner, we just caught you on the break twice. And that 3-2 game was fantastic as well. But like you said, I think Nuno sort of, you know, figured City out. If we, I think he was thinking if we can frustrate him for 80, 85 minutes, we just need one chance to get the win, and I, I don't know how Bruno is gonna gonna approach it. It'll be interesting to see how he approaches the game on Saturday. Yeah, well, from from Nuno to Bruno, how's he? How's his style kind of uh, settled in yet? Is it? Is he? Has he put his imprint on this Wolves side yet? It's it's a really strange one with him um, because obviously he came to Wolves not a huge amount of experience, but the experience he did have was with Benfica. And he scored ridiculous amounts of goals. You know, you look at some of his wins, he was winning 10-0 in the league in some games. So he came to, to Wolves and we, and everyone was thinking, right, we're going to see this really attacking 4-4-2 style. And we haven't. He sort of stuck to the same blueprint Nuno left, mainly, I think, because of the squad that he's been left with and hasn't been able to invest a huge amount in it. Um, but 
it's weird because our defensive record's a hell of a lot better, but our attacking record isn't where you would have almost expected the opposite. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. I think the jury's still out a little bit with him. Uh, he's doing a lot better than I expected. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I didn't think we were going to go down or anything like that, but I, I expected us to to struggle a little bit more. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm I'm happy with him. You know, talking to the press, he seems a lot more switched on than Nuno. I think he likes to speak his mind a little bit more, which I like as well. So fingers crossed, the ball just back him and he can create his own squad because I'm excited to see what he can come up with. Yeah, Bob, um, the defeat on on Tuesday night was uh, it, it kind of put a, a stop to City's winning run. Um, and you know, we've talked about all the reasons to what happened in Leipzig, but. Um, are you a little bit concerned that that momentum for City was is a big thing and that could have been broken given the number of first team players that actually played in in Leipzig? And if if that's the case, what do they need to do at weekend to get back on track? Is it simply win the game at all costs? Um, well, I mean, Pep does often speak about momentum, so it obviously is a big thing in terms of the way he manages um, the players. So there will be an element of that, but then on the other hand, um, some of the sort of spine of the team the key players weren't playing um the other day so like bernardo uh rodri cancelo edison um so um yeah like i'm not convinced it's necessarily going to be that detrimental in terms of um the sort of the league run of, of of form um but yeah i mean obviously to maintain that momentum in the league city need to win um to get that back i mean that's the most important thing. And then after that, the manner of the performance. Uh, and by and large, by the odd exception, um, the, the level of performance has been exceptional this, this year. And um, I guess uh, the, the performance breeds confidence and uh, gets the results, which uh, also um, sort of works in reverse and breeds the confidence in that way, if that makes sense. I'm not sure it does, but, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, let's bring in uh, Nick from the Man City Fans Food Bank as well, because uh, ahead of the game on uh, Saturday, it's the early kickoff, uh, but that doesn't stop these guys from uh, making collections of uh, both food and money ahead of the game for Manchester Central Food Bank. Uh, Nick, um, it, Saturday's a bit of a bit different though, isn't it? What's, what's happening on Saturday? Yeah, cheers for having us on, David. Um, yeah, on Saturday, we're doing a trial initiative ahead of the Wolves game um, from 10am till 12. We're inviting our friends down from Greater Manchester Tenants Union uh, to host a, basically like a drop-in advice session for any match-going fans who may be experiencing housing issues at the moment. Yeah, so it's... Uh, and, and the collection is... Uh, where is it? It's uh, is it going to be in the usual place? Yeah, it's at the usual place at the end of Sir Howard Bernstein Way, opposite the Asda. Yeah, under the bridge, under under the uh, the good old Nexon Tyre Bridge, that classic yeah. uh, that classic city bridge. Uh, so, I yeah. mean, in, in terms of donations this season, how's it been going for you? It's been going really well. Uh, we're just, I think, eight hundred and fifty kilos of food in the seven eight games weekend home games that we've had, which is a fantastic amount. It's already eclipsed what we did in the short time last year, and we know it's only going to get bigger as more people know about what we're doing. Um, it's great to see so many new faces, but also so many old faces, which we've seen over the past couple of years. And it's just a, another great way of proving how community-minded our fan base is. Yeah. How how was uh, the last one? Because it, uh, it was a bit snowy, wasn't it, against uh, West Ham, was it? Yeah, that was it. Uh, oh, that was it. Uh, you know what? We, we made the most of it. We, we, we were still there. <laughs> um, we were still there. We got we got a good a good amount donated um, by West Ham fans too, who came over and spoke to us, which was fantastic. And that's what it's all about. It's hunger doesn't wear club colours. That's the motto. Um, so, yeah, that was... Uh, I think it's going to be a bit of a wet one, isn't it, on Saturday? So. Yeah. I'll take I'll take I'll take snow over rain. I'll tell you that. 
Yeah, take your raincoat and uh, hopefully get uh, get get some uh, more donations for you and uh, some uh, tenancy advice if people need it. Um, yeah. Dave, we've got the charity bet coming up a bit later on in the programme. Uh, we are collecting for uh, the Man City Fans Food Bank Support Group. Um, so let's let's have your score prediction for City against Wolves and hopefully we can raise uh, a bit more money for them. Yeah, I think uh, I used my heart a lot more than my head on this one. So I went with a 2-1 Wolves win. Well, a 2-1 Wolves win, uh, would it would back them some money, let's put it that way. It's 50-1, to 1, uh, so £500 if you're right. So uh, in, in many ways, Fingers I kind crossed. of hope you're right for the charity, but I hope from a City <laughs> point of view that you're not. So no offence, mate. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Dave, thank you very much for joining us on the programme. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. And Nick, thank you very much as well for joining us. No worries, Cheers, David. Now, there is a second game to preview this week too and to get a Leeds United perspective on Tuesday's fixture, I've been speaking to the Athletics Leeds correspondent, Phil Hay. I started by asking how the second season was going so far. This is pretty much what everybody's asking and I, th- I think it will be fairly apparent from a distance that it's not gone as well as season one. Um, it, the thing about the first season back in the Premier League was that they never felt in trouble at any stage of it. There were short spells where wins evaded them, but not for long. And they were able to win a lot of games over the 38 that they played. They lost a lot of games as well. But as you know, and as everybody finds out, if, if you do put wins on the board in the Premier League, you tend to stay up. It's it's draws that, that really drag you down and, and a lack of goals too. This season has been different in that respect. They, they've struggled to get wins on the board. They haven't been as creative going forward. They've been shorter of goals um, than they were last season. And they've also been very heavily affected by injuries and you know, with this this topic of conversation comes up a lot, but Bielsa is a very small squad at Leeds, and in previous years he's had injuries and he's ridden injuries, and it, it's never really been a problem. But this year it has felt like more of a problem, and it has felt like it has been putting big pressure on the squad that he has, and and also you know affecting results. And they were very very close to full strength um, last weekend against Brentford, but as happens and, and seems to be the case regularly at Leeds, a few days on they're very much not full strength going into the game against Chelsea on Saturday and, and Manchester City next week. Yeah, I mean the, the injuries thing was uh, was actually going to be my next question in terms of how, how what what shape the squad is in. Um, it's the news on Bamford as well. Is he he's he's injured? Is he now? There's there's some talk of him um, having a niggle in his hamstring after the Brentford game. He was back against Brentford as a substitute. It was his first appearance since September. Um, It had been an ankle injury for him previously, but there is a niggle there. Um, I think by the time people hear this, we'll have spoken to Bielsa ahead of the Chelsea game, so we'll have clearer clearer idea on that. Um, But hamstring issues for Calvin Phillips and Liam Cooper too, which are are far more significant and and more serious and I think are going to lead to to lengthy spells out for those two. Phillips is a very big loss. Cooper is a a mainstay in Bielsa's defence. Tends to divide opinion in Leeds, um, Cooper, but I've always felt is a good player, is a very good captain and it's pretty clear how how highly Bielsa rates him. I think the problem isn't the fact that that injuries pop up because every coach has to deal with this and and every squad is affected through the season. It's the fact that they never seem to subside and as I was saying, even last weekend when Robin Koch, the the German centre-back, was the the only player coming back from injury. Pascal Stroit was missing as well, but it was something very, very minor. Koch was really the one that, that you were looking at and thinking that is now the extent of the injury list. But 
this squad at Leeds, is, it just never is fully fit. And, and suddenly you've got issues with Cooper and, and Phillips in particular. It's going to lead to, to more reshuffling. And, and it's safe to say that this season, they have not felt like a settled side in the way that they have previously under Bielsa. And injuries are, are a big part of that. Yeah. Has, has the style had to change because of that as well? The tactics haven't changed demonstrably, um, and I wouldn't say that, that the style that there's been any specific attempt to change the style, but it has meant, in, in part as well, because players have not been in top form. I think across the squad, there have been very few who've played as well as they did for for large parts of last season. But in the absence of that, it has meant that while the defensive record is looking better than it did in in the first year in the Premier League, creatively they they haven't been at it in the same way. They haven't created as many chances. They haven't been as dangerous from from out wide and and it's very, very apparent from the the table that they haven't scored as many goals. And the thing about Leeds was that they they were always liable to concede last season and, and, you know, they they had periods where they were very porous. But you could also depend on them to score um, and you could depend on them to score regularly. And I think the shift in in that area has certainly been one of the things that has compromised them this season. And, you know, somebody like Luke Ayling out for two months before he came back against Brentford. Ayling is probably the best player at right back at overlapping and underlapping and, and being an attacking wing back in the way that Bielsa wants his full backs to be. That's critical to the tactics and, and critical to the, the creativity up front. And it's it's you know, it, it just hasn't clicked really this season. There have been periods in games where they've played well. There have been some games where they've played far better than than in others. But I, I still don't feel at, at this point, and we're now into December, that we've had a ninety minute performance from Leeds. Yeah. Um, if that's to, to kind of happen at the Etihad uh, after the Chelsea game, uh, who are the players that can that can hurt City? I mean, last time around it was Stuart Dallas. What's what's he been doing this this time? It's been a more difficult season for Dallas. He has had things going on in the background. He's had COVID. He's had a, a bereavement as well, which he, he spoke about a couple of months ago. I do feel like he's come back into form in the past few weeks. I think he's looked more like himself. But again, the, the injuries and the changes and the, the reshuffling to the squad has meant that you've seen Dallas on the left side of defence, you've seen him on the right side of defence. What we all started to realise last season, and, and you know this was part of the part of the game at, at City, um, away at the Etihad, was that he was very, very effective when he was in form as a centre mid, which nobody had really thought about him being previously. You know, as a, as a number eight, it actually seemed to suit him and it, it brought the best out of him. By a, a stretch, the best player this season, and I think it's fair to say the best player at the club is Rafinha and the, the Brazilian winger at Leeds. Incredibly talented, but but also able to mix flair and talent with a, a really, really good committed attitude. Great engine, a lot of effort from him, happy to take on a, a very big workload. I think the, the risk for Leeds at the moment and the thing they have to avoid is placing too much pressure on him and relying too heavily on him for goals and assists. You know, the the, the kind of skills that, that he's got are glaringly apparent, but Leeds have never been a one-man team. They've never relied on on individual players massively, even though, you know, guys like Phillips at centre defensive mid have been crucial to the system. Everybody has always contributed, but he is undoubtedly the, the one to look out for Rafinha. He, is, he has been the star of the show. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you know this, Phil, but uh, there's only one team in the Premier League this season that has played in the Premier League at the Etihad and never lost. Uh, and it happens to be Leeds United. <laughs> that's, a, that's the benefit of having just one Premier League season in the past 20 years or so. <laughs> I mean, it, it was it was a remarkable game at, at the Etihad and almost incredible to think back now and, and remember that Leeds actually won that. 
I mean, it was it was actually a bit of a tactical masterclass from Bielsa in a way that was very, very different to, to how Leeds normally play. They're extremely attacking under him and, and they don't tend to drop onto the back foot or to, to soak up pressure. But they realised straight away as soon as Liam Cooper was sent off that City were going to have a lot of the ball and, and the decision was kind of made in the in the changing room for them to let Stones bring the ball out. And, and you'll probably remember that the entirety of that second half seemed to be Stones bringing the ball over halfway unimpeded sending the ball forward and then City trying without much success to, to dig their way through Leeds and, and to find find a goal. And, and obviously they did equalise, but then got picked off by Dallas at the end. And somebody was telling me that they'd actually worked um, in the week building up to the game on having 10 against 11. Um, you know, obviously preempting the possibility that they might have somebody sent off. But I think more to the point, preempting the likelihood that City would dominate possession and, and would come at them. Um, and there was a lot of a lot of time spent on players rotating when it came to knowing who your marker was and how to change markers in, in quick time and make sure that you were you were never kind of overloaded um, in in any area. Uh, and it was a it was an unbelievable result. I think one of the best results Bielsa has had. And I think he went to the Etihad that day hoping that he hoping that he could do a job on Guardiola, and it and it worked out that way. Yeah, it's uh, it, it, certainly I don't think it will be an easy game uh, on Tuesday anyway. Uh, what's your prediction for this game? We have a charity back coming up a bit later on in the show. Uh, let's let's get your score prediction for that. Well, Leeds are running into a really difficult um, period of fixtures now. They've got Chelsea, they've got City, they've got Arsenal at home, which looks the, probably the most winnable of the bunch. And then they've got Liverpool away at Anfield. So I, I don't think people are... Uh, People are gambling too heavily on a huge number of points coming back from this. I, I, it might be a hard game for City, but I, I can't see City not winning it. I think they, they will win the game. I think the players who are potentially missing for Leeds will will be a problem and, and will be a handicap. And it, it feels to me, and I've been saying this all season, that your top three of Chelsea, Liverpool and City have moved forward um, in, in terms of their quality and their performances this season. I don't think you can say the same about Leeds. And I think it, it will be Guardiola's night. Uh, and what score would you go for? I'm going to go for a 3-0 City win. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. That was Phil Hay speaking to me about Leeds this season. Um, Just looking into this one from a a City point of view, Rachel, um, can you read anything into how City did against Leeds last season? Because we we talked about Rodri after that Leeds game uh, last season being, you know, me being not that convinced about him. And then the second game, City were in the in the full throes of, of playing the strongest team in the Champions League. So Leeds caught City on, on effectively what was an off day. Yeah, they were weird games last year, weren't they, from memory? There's one where we lost 2-1 at home with a last-minute winner, wasn't it, I think? Yeah. So, um, they, I'll, I'll be honest, I've not seen Leeds play quite as much this season as I did last last season because they were on telly every five, you know, I watched pretty much every game um, given COVID and given the, the TV schedule. Um, I've not seen Leeds play as much this season, but I know that they're not don't seem to be having as good a time. I know they've been really um, badly struck with injuries, haven't they? They've had a lot of key players out, although it looks like they're all coming back in time to play us, um, which is normally the way it goes. But no, I, I think it'll be a very different proposition this season. I think they, they look to me like they are gonna. I, I don't think they're gonna get sucked into a relegation battle as such. But they, they you know, they, they they certainly haven't got the momentum that they had last season. I think they were probably still riding high from 
promotion as, as as Brentford are, I suppose, this season as well. I think, you know, and Sheffield United did the season before. I think a lot of newly promoted teams is always one of the three teams that, that exceeds expectations. And I think last year it's probably Leeds United. This year it's a bit more back down to business. And, um, yeah, I, I don't think they've got anything that we should really be that frightened of, to be honest. Yeah, if we're if we're talking, Bob, about uh, Guardiola making mad decisions and naming like like not naming a side that we wanted for for Leipzig, for instance, I know I know we've talked about it and we you know we've we've been through the reasons, but Guardiola versus Bielsa that has the opportunity, doesn't it, for Guardiola to do something mad because he loves Bielsa. Yeah, I mean it's um, got all the ingredients, hasn't it? Like um, a midweek Premier League game for the first time in a long time, so there's a chance for rotation. Um, and he does have this thing, doesn't he, where if he really like respects uh, the opposition coach or is a bit fearful of them, he he does mad things. Um, so like with, with he does it with Klopp, um, obviously the the first um, Champions League away match at Anfield where he put Gundogan on the right wing um, springs to mind, and I think that was out of fear slash respect for Klopp, and then. Yeah, with Bielsa, he's obviously a big fan of him, so he'll probably see a danger with a player that I've probably never heard of. I mean, that's just my sort of ignorance about Leeds, but yeah, <laughs> you, you do think that if there's ever going to be a game where Pep's going to do something weird, it will be this this fixture, definitely. And um, yeah, I think last season will probably play um, on on, on um, Pep's mind a little bit, because um, yeah, how would didn't beat them last season. It's you should really at least beat a promoted side at least once, and and to, to not do that at all, especially when you're champions, is quite bizarre. So, yeah, it's um, it's definitely going to be a strange one. I think if he's going to do anything weird, it will be this this match. Yeah, Rachel, we like we talked about getting minutes in the legs for Leipzig. How how important will that be for for these two games? Because they are like Bob said, they are they're really close together. You got Wolves on Saturday, you know, Leeds on Tuesday. And this is where squad management comes into it, isn't it? I think that's the that's the beauty of having a big squad. There's always arguments about whether we've actually got the the strength in depth, but let's have it right. We should have enough in our squad. Um, I don't think we've got as many players injured now, have we? So I think you know, I think other than Foden, I think everybody else is is all right and available, aren't they? At this moment, yeah, just in time. T- Torres as well, but yeah. Oh, sorry, Ferran Torres. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but other than that. I think we've got full full strength to, to pick from, so we, we should absolutely have enough for the the two for the um, for the two games. Um, and yeah, you're, you're right. We haven't had a Premier League midweek match for for some time, but we, we're used to be playing midweek now through Champions League. That's just part and parcel of our, our fixtures on an annual basis now, isn't it? So yeah, yeah I think um, yeah, I, I'm not I'm not too worried about the fact that you know this time of the year anyway, games come thick and fast, and we're going to see squad management you know throughout the next month. I would say. There'll be a lot of rotation, even more than usual. Yeah. Um, right, well, let's get some uh, predictions on the board. The good form uh, that City have had on the pitch has continued with a charity bet as well. Our Watford guest, David Walker, last week was spot on with his prediction of a 3-1 City win at Vicarage Road. That's taken the total for this season up to £930 already. As we've uh, already said on today's show, we're collecting for the Man City Fans Food Bank Support Group. They're collecting donations of food and money at City's home games in aid of Manchester Central Food Bank. Uh, William Hill is giving each of us a £10 correct score single. We've heard from Dave that he thinks... Uh, Wolves are going to come to the Etihad and and, and absolutely stun the home fans with a 2-1 win. And uh, that would be 50-1 to and £500 if he's right. Uh, Bob, what are you having for this one? Um, Well, I think um, 
uh, Wolves' sort of lack of ability to score loads is going to stand us in good stead. So I'm going 2 0 City. 2 uh, 0 City. I had to get my calculator out for this one, mate, because it's 24 <laughs> to 5, and I have no idea what that means. But apparently, it's 48 pounds if you're right. How you've managed that, I don't really know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, 48 pounds if you're right. Rachel, what are you having uh, score wise for this one? Yeah, I, I think we should have a, a relatively comfortable victory, but I don't think we'll keep a clean sheet, only because Dave's been going on about how they're not scoring as many goals. So that, <laughs> inevitably, they will, uh, they'll notch against us. So I'm going 3-1 City. 3-1 City is a much easier to work out, 11-1. to 1, So £110 if you're right. Um, we heard earlier from um, Phil Hay that he thinks uh, Leeds are going to get done by City 3-0 at the Etihad. Uh, that's 13-2 to 2 and £65 if he's right. Bob, what's your score for uh, for Leeds on Tuesday? Um, I think 2-1 to City um, with Pep doing something weird, which leads to us uh, conceding some kind of strange goal. Excellent. That's 9-1 to one and £90 if you're right. And Rachel, it's uh, I, I think you've gone a, bit, a little bit more comfortable, have you? I have, yeah. I, I think we do. A, you know, when I think about the chances that we missed against Wolves last week, sorry, not Wolves, um, Watford, I just think, you know, if we are as clinical as we should be, then... You know, we were creating a lot of chances and I, I see us creating a lot of chances against Wolves, but hopefully we'll put them away and I think we're due to thrash someone. So I've gone I've gone big and ambitious. I've gone 5-0 City on this one. Yeah, go big or go home. That's what I always say. Yeah. Six, 16 to 1 and uh, uh, £160 if you're right. So uh, fingers crossed for that. Uh, you got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change and please gamble responsibly. To find out more, have a look at begambleaware.org. Uh, now, before we get into the audience questions for the end of the show, uh, we've got a little bit of explaining to do on the podcast. Because uh, the first question that uh, we had came from Steve G on the emails. Uh, and he said, I just wanted to comment on episode 17 and the goals from an unlikely source. Why wasn't Vinny's league winning thumper against Leicester mentioned? It wasn't like he was scoring goals like that every week. And I'll be honest with you, Steve, you're absolutely right. It wasn't mentioned. And I thought, I thought I'd got away with it. Um, the reason why it wasn't mentioned is because it all stemmed back. It was, it was originally going to be a feature in the podcast. I was going to do one of those uh, items where we talk about um, unlikely goal scorers and stick it to music and we we hear some some interview clips. But uh, I couldn't think of any. The only three I could think of were Danny Mills against Everton, um, Nicholas Jensen against Leeds and Vincent Company against Leicester. So when I tweeted out for suggestions, I said to people, please don't mention those three. And so all the people that were, were tweeting back, and I was reading out some of the uh, some of the tweets that we got in, none of them mentioned those three. So uh, when we got to actually record it on the show, I completely forgot to include them in the uh, in in, in the uh, bit at the end. Uh, so you're right, we didn't mention that goal against Leicester, and we absolutely should have done because it was a cracker. So um, so uh, well spotted, and uh, I, I would call it a deliberate mistake, but I've just owned up to it, so it's not. Um, so let's, let's talk about this week's questions then. First up is uh, Blair Robbins on Facebook, who says, After the game against Aston Villa, I feel using the buyback clause on Douglas Louise as a Fernandinho replacement next season would be a great piece of business, especially in today's markets and what we would have to pay to buy off another English club. What do you think? Well, um, uh, Rachel, the first thing is that we have to say, sadly, the buyback clause has now expired. Uh, it ran until June 2021 for £25 million. But this question does raise uh, kind of another interesting question that I think you touched on a little bit earlier in the show. Um, does City need a Fernandinho replacement in that both Rodri and Fernandinho do different jobs in City's team? So they do, but I suppose the question is now, if if Rodri was to get injured, could Fernandinho do the job? And listen, I absolutely adore Fernandinho. I think he's been amazing. I know when we talk about 
you know, super great players at City. We talk about, you know, company and, and Aguero and Silva and Yaya. But for me, Fernandinho is part of that group. He's been absolutely phenomenal for us and turned out some of the best defensive midfielder play, um, performances I've ever seen. But but the reality is, unfortunately, he is getting on a little bit. And from what I've seen this season, that that form isn't there. And that might be because he's not playing quite as often and because Rodri's in, you know, is 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 doing so well. But if Rodri gets injured, I don't think Fernandinho is necessarily the answer anymore, unfortunately. So, and plus as well, let's have it right. He only got, I think, a one-year extension on his contract, didn't he? So at the end of the season, I think he's out of contract anyway. So we absolutely do need another defensive midfield option. Um, whether or not Douglas Louise is, is a preferred option for me, I don't know. Don't get me wrong, he did look good against us. Um, but for me, I like the look of the the lad at um, Brighton. Is it Basuma? I think his name is, isn't it? Who plays yeah. defensive midfield? He, he he would be the one for me to go after. Yeah, um, I'm going to come to you for this one, Bob, because uh, Ryan MCFC on Twitter has asked. Uh, it looks like vaccine passports to get into the Etihad might be about to happen. Uh, if they do, what one piece of advice would you give to the club to make sure that getting into the stadium is as easy as possible? Well, I mean, it's uh, it's quite limiting asking for only one. I mean, I could go on for a long time there. <laughs> um, well, I mean, the first thing that springs to mind is, and it annoys me every time I go go to a game, it's why aren't there more turnstiles? Like I'm in uh, the South Stand and uh, go through entrance P and there's about six turnstiles to get about 10,000 people into that section of the ground. And there's loads more space to just make more turnstiles. Surely, that, I mean, that if that's your only option, that would be the first priority. I appreciate that's not a quick fix, so to build them. But yeah, I mean, they need more staff as well. Um, whether they could have the scanners to pick up um, the QR code from the NHS app for your COVID passport, I don't know whether that's possible, but that would negate the need to have actual humans checking that which would be quicker um, because you could do your season ticket and your covid uh, passport at the same time so yeah there's a, there's a lot that you could do to improve just generally getting into the ground but um there's there's just more hurdles being put up all the time isn't there with uh, covid yeah i was just going to ask rachel are you, are you concerned are you, are you considering getting there even earlier just to make sure that you get into your seat with if you've got to show your pass and then you know get in with the with, with the tickets yeah, I mean, it, it's it, it's easy to do. You just put more stewards on. We went to Spurs, when we went to Spurs away, we had to show our COVID passport, and it was a doddle because they had so many stewards there, and that's what they need to do. I know they'll always ask fans to get into the game as early as possible, but the reality is a lot of people want to have the, the, the pint in Mary D's and in the pubs with the mates as opposed to actually going into the um, ground and being separated because everyone's in, in, in different stands. So... You know, you're always going to struggle to get and entice people into the ground a little bit earlier. I know that you know, I understand why they would ask people to get down that little bit earlier to facilitate, you know, checking all these the COVID um, passes, etc. But for me, just get more stewards on. It's not it's not difficult. Yeah, it's not rocket science at all. Um, final question for this week comes from Jonathan Proctor on the emails. Uh, he says, City's FA Cup game with Swindon has been put on TV at 8pm on a Friday night. The last train home to Manchester from Swindon leaves at 7.40pm. Remind me again how football is nothing without the fans. And uh, I guess this is one of those games, Rachel, where you might, you know, many people might have been looking at this thinking Swindon away would be a nice, uh, be a nice trip um, Saturday afternoon. But Friday night, it's just not going to happen. 
it's a total joke. It's a total joke. But the but it's it, you, you know it's, it's absolutely right. Football is not about the fans. You only have to look at the timings of the FA Cup final now. That is to maximise global audience and global revenue. It's not about the fans. You know we, we've we've complained about this for years. Is in that you know if City went to extra time in an FA Cup final. Half the fans would have to leave because they have to get the last train back from Houston. It's a joke, and it always has been. And and, and unfortunately, we're fighting a losing battle there when there's so much money being pumped into um, pumped into football from TV. We're never actually going to going to win that one. But it's a it's a real shame because, like you say, we're going to have. Don't get me wrong. I bet we'll still we'll still sell out our allocation, and it'll still be a full house because Swindon Town will obviously that's a massive game for them. So. It'll still be a full house. It's just a shame that uh, quite a few City fans will be resigned to watch it on the TV instead of going down in person. Yeah, um, Bob. The the other side of things with uh, with games like this, I guess, is you know we've just had what a, a year, eighteen months of football behind closed doors. Um, you know, if if you if your messaging straight after that is that football is 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 not the same without the fans, why are you making it so hard for fans to get to games? Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, as soon as um, I heard that question, my first thought was, well, lockdown football, it proved what we already knew before. There was a pandemic that the fans don't really matter. And so it proves the show must go on. Um, And the Euros, I know the Euros, there were some fans in some countries, but like having a cross-continental tournament at the height of a pandemic was just ridiculous. But it just... I know it was postponed by a year, but it still happened in the end when there was a lot of problems. So, yeah, it's just um, these things with the Swindon fixture and there's so many other examples, as Rachel's alluded to. It just doesn't matter, does it, whether, uh, you know, 3,000 fans or whatever for Manchester are going to make a game in Swindon or not. It really, they don't, they don't care. So, yeah. Um, yeah, not a surprise at all. Yeah, well, uh, that uh, that disappointing note is where we leave it for this week's Blue Moon podcast. But never fear, if you'd like some more City stuff to listen to, there'll be a new bonus show for Patreon backers out on Monday. It's another episode of The Games That Made Me, and this time it's City fan Adam Keyworth picking out the five matches that shaped him as a supporter. That follows on from uh, fan Simon Curtis doing the same last Monday as well. To get that show each week, it's just £2 a month, so your £2 will get four or five different shows, depending on the length of the month. And we'll chuck in this podcast each week with no adverts as well. You can sign up for that at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Thanks to my guests for today's show, Rachel Hudson. Well, thanks for having me. And Bob Toole. Cheers, Mooney. Thanks for having me. We'll be back again next week with reviews of the games against Wolves and Leeds. See you then. was the blue moon podcast please support the show patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast